When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Sunday's episode of a Terra Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and on this occasion, I am joined by Tony Anderson. Hello, Craig. And Tom Watt. Hello. And we shall be discussing Scotland's 1-0 defeat in Slovakia in the Nations League. And we'll also get to the next in our countdown of the most memorable Scotland matches of all time, chosen by yourselves. And uh, for those of you who want to hear some Betfred Cup content as we look through uh, three games and look at the draw for the next round, then we shall be doing that on the Patreon. So that's patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. And if you could please subscribe to the Patreon, then one day I can hopefully quit my job. So yes, please, <laughs> please do that. Because uh, first of all... We just go- want the sympathy vote, do we? Is that what we're looking for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, please, please help me. Because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need, uh, I'm gonna need help from Tony and, and Tom to talk me through the Slovakia game since I was covering it. But when you're asked to do player ratings and a live blog, you don't actually get to watch any of the game at all. So <laughs> as far as well, I'm aware, we had lots of chances, didn't take them, but I can't really add anything other than that. So uh, well, King, I was quite bad though, because I was obviously, I was trying to organise a trip to London for the England game during it as well because I'm just Euro fever has hit Fowler and uh, these games despite them being very important for uh, our future they just not matter as much when I was watching it and looking at Airbnbs was extremely exciting when the game was on but I did watch plenty so don't worry I think we're going to the guy who wasn't busy doing something else during the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just sat on the sofa watching it. Sorry. Um, I think so. I think overall performance was fairly good, especially in the first half. I thought we knocked the ball around, we made chances, 
we didn't look like we were going to concede an awful lot. I mean, their their goal came from at least one deflection, if not two. Um, and overall, I think, given everything that's happened in the week, we can't be too unhappy with it. There are definitely questions around... There are a couple of big questions that were thrown up. I think the first one probably is, do you was it right to make wholesale changes from the team uh, from from uh, last week? You made eight, you know, eight changes is is an awful lot. Personally, I don't think it massively disrupted the team or massively changed the way that that they set up or anything like that. I think the, the players that came in largely did didn't didn't do themselves a, a huge disservice in in any way. With there, there is one heavy, heavy, heavy weight question uh, and almost a, a big problem that we have that I, I, I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but largely, I think freshening up the team for one reason or another didn't make a massive difference. And I don't Sorry, think- Tom. Can I can I interject? I just wanted to I just wanted to ask Fowler. I know you didn't watch the game fully, so I was just. What was your opinion? Um, when you saw that there was eight changes, just on off the back of seeing that, what was how did you feel when you saw that? At the start of the game, I was I was a bit annoyed. I thought eight mm. changes was excessive. I think that obviously, I think it had to be. A, a, a thing going with the same starting eleven, we'd have well, we couldn't do it anyway. Robertson was injured, and London Dykes was suspended, so we couldn't. So we had to make two changes anyway. But uh, I, I, I couldn't understand doing a, a bit more than just the two. But I thought the eight was was a bit too much. I think it. Obviously, with tired legs, you kind of needed to, to bring in some fresh bodies. And I do agree with Tom. I think overall, the, the guys that came in did do well. But I just, I never really like the optics of that. I never like it for, mm. and I don't like the optics for just players within the squad themselves. I just always think it kind of sends out a message of, we're not taking this game 100% seriously. And I kind of wished, and I, I mean, we played like we certainly did. There was nothing in the performance to suggest that we didn't want to go to Slovakia, win this game, and not have to worry about beating Israel to, to top the group. But I always just think there's a subconscious element when you when you just change the team up that much that, that can maybe sometimes affect the players. I don't know if it did this time. I, I, I was just, I think I was just annoyed in general at the end of the game because we should have won. Like, it's, just I think, very yeah, I think, it's very annoying when you have so many chances and don't take anything from the game. I think if you look at it, there's a way of looking at it two angles because I, I, I see where you're coming from further because you could argue, do you not just get the best team out in the park win this game and then you can do all the resting in the Israel game. Uh, I'm sure there's a huge amount of deals going on in the background with most uh, international clubs, uh, sort of international countries at the moment. I imagine with these international triple headers, with all the club football that's going on, I'm sure there's some sort of agreements being made. Nobody's ever going to say it. Nobody's going to admit it, but I'd imagine so. And, and for Clark, he will want a good relationship with these managers, I mean, especially go down south. We've already seen in the past that we think club managers, especially down south, can get in the players' ears, talk them out of really wanting to play for Scotland. Uh, and I think Clark's maybe aware of that and he wants to make sure that he has a good relationship so he can foster that club element so he can get every player coming into every single squad, which I think will be really important for him. But I could see there was maybe a middle ground, although the performance would say, I watched the performance would say, we barely skipped a beat. Apart from being able to take our chances, we never skipped a beat in terms of our style of performance. Arguably, that's the most chances I've seen Scotland create in a match that didn't involve Gibraltar. So, I mean, we've, we, we, we've played pretty well there. 
in hindsight, the one thing I would have liked to see not change too much would be the back three. And I think we we didn't necessarily have to change it. Tierney, could have, Tierney had to go to left uh, wing back and Tierney was excellent. So that, that was fine. That actually made us better. I thought that's that's probably the best performance from a Scottish wing back. Uh, I don't know, two years at least. Like it's, <laughs> Definitely recent memory. But the back three... So having three left footers uh, meant that Andy Considine from... Because he can kind of do... Considine, I know it's like a, a kind of higher level, but we've seen him at Aberdeen. He, he doesn't look too natural doing it, but he's somebody that does is very competent at, at kind of taking the ball forward because he's played left back so often. So I think we could have done something similar to the Serbia game where the, the kind of... this The the flanking centre-halves could have kind of got forward as well and helped us kind of pin the other team back a little bit more than the, than the three in this game because it meant that with the three left-sided ones, he went for Cooper on the left. So that meant Considine was on the right. So it meant he really couldn't kind of get forward to any effect. Cooper's not a type to take it forward. McKenna's not a type to make it forward. And I think that was the one aspect of the team that was maybe lacking a little bit for the other day is that the back three just weren't as comfortable in the ball as the back three of Tierney. Gallagher and McTominay um, but that's kind of that's nitpicking a little bit but you could also say like changing the whole defence and the goalkeeper you know maybe contributes to the goal with the defence being so deep that maybe there's not as much communication there as there might otherwise have been because considering how we were playing at the time it was surprising that the whole defence was so deep and that Kenny McLean was basically standing about 10 yards out uh, yeah you could see that because at that point we are very deep because they get the ball sort of midway through inside our box. So it's, it's a dangerous moment. But the second the ball gets uh, recycled back out, none of our defence really moves forward. Yeah. And it's like we've got seven guys, so sort of all maybe even deeper than the penalty spot. And we can bleat and moan about deflections, but when you're in that scenario, that is a likely occurrence, really. You can't say that it's an unfortunate thing. that It's maybe unfortunate that they end up in the net, but a deflection is almost guaranteed to happen when there's a shot off the edge of the box with that amount of numbers in such a deep for, in deep position. I think, though, that, that I mean, over, at the start of the game, I thought wholesale changes is... I'm not quite sure what I made of it, but I don't think there was anyone that played particularly badly. And, and actually, the one, the one change that we kind of expected... The, the one change that we expected to happen was ultimately the one that I think cost us because there is a huge drop-off in quality between... Um, quality is maybe not the right word, but there's a huge drop-off in effectiveness for the Scotland team between Lyndon Dykes and Ollie McBurney. I'm happy uh, to say quality is the right word. Democratic as fuck there, Tom. I'm impressed. I mean, I'm firmly in the Ollie McBurney is not good enough cap. Uh, camp. He, he's got 14 caps now and... I think he could have 14 more and still not score. He could, he could certain, like he should have had one. He probably should have had two. He could have had a hat trick. And I think the difference for all the, for all the changes that were made, we actually played very well. The midfield looked really good. We got down the lines a lot here and Tierney, like we, like we said, Tierney was, was marauding from, he, uh, from fullback. He had Even that right Hammer back here. on toast, Tom, didn't he? Yeah, he had them on toast every like, single time, boosting him past them. And every single time, that, I mean, even like uh, Palmer, who I didn't think had a particularly great game, got a lot of joy in wide areas as well. We were getting the ball. At, Christie, I thought, had a very good game and was, yeah. was getting forward and was getting into 2v2s an awful lot. But when there were chances, and there were two very, very good chances, the the, the striker, you know, whoever that may be, has to take those or, or 
you know, you're, at the international level, you're always going to concede goals that might be a bit unlucky. And yes, it was avoidable. Yes, we could have come out and pushed the um, pushed out a little bit. We were deep for it, but you know, so be it. We were still on the front foot. We still had plenty of time. We were still the better team for the remainder of the game. And there's still chances. And I think the the I do I do take the people that watch Ollie McBurney at Sheffield United and say that he they play a different way and he does different things for them or whatever it may. But nobody has seen any evidence that he's, you know, a a natural fit for the way that the Scotland team's playing. And the one thing that is making me nervous is we are so reliant on Dykes and we're so reliant on the way that what he gives us up front that if he's not available, we don't have anyone like him. Not none of this. Not not so early. We've got obviously he's to get gonna, Obviously he's made of steel, and he'll play every single game if he has to. But, Are we going to have a David Beckham moment with Dykes where he gets a metatarsal injury on the on the lead up, and we have to force him into the team, and he can barely walk? I think he needs like a year's worth of self isolation just, <laughs> just to take himself out of danger. But I think that that's the one. Well, Scotland like come out for the Euros next week, next year with this big fat guy up front. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, funnily enough, he's not match fit. Uh, McBurney, though, it'd be fair to you, Tom, as well. I mean, he's got two goals and thirty-two appearances uh, for Sheffield United as well. So they they obviously want more. I guess want more from their twenty million striker. Even though, yes, I do read little bits as well about him uh, adding to their style of play. Uh, but I mean, Sheffield United are shit this season as well like I mean they barely (laughs) like last season they were they they were obviously a really good side but I've seen them a little bit this season and going by the results they're absolutely garbage 20 million pounds 20 million pounds I mean it's it's McBurney index isn't it Uh, yeah I mean I I think the probably the most damning thing about McBurney at the moment is if he had zero Scotland caps but he was still playing up front for Sheffield United in the Premier League he would have a very, very good chance of going to the Euros with Scotland because we do definitely need strikers. The fact he's got 14 Scotland caps and every time we see him, I think there is less of an argument for taking him (laughs) because whatever it is that he's giving, whatever it is that he does, and I appreciate there are lots of people who believe he does lots of wonderful things and lots of very good things. I'm not one of them, but, you know, whatever. Whatever it is that he does, he's not doing it for Scotland, and that cannot be a viable plan B. The other, the other frustrating thing is the way we played in this game. If McBurney's sort of being sold to me as a as a target man, we didn't actually really need a target man too much. I mean, we were going in behind, we were getting in behind them on the flanks. We had through balls to McBurney because what I loved about the Scotland performance, I know we lost, but it was the fact we were able to get in behind them through all areas of the pitch. So if I'm going to use some of the geeky terms about last third entries or what other shite people come out with, we were getting in behind them for the right-hand side. Palmer deliveries let him down, which is the first time really for Scotland that has been a, been the case. Tierney, as I said, was you could argue that was his best performance in a, in a Scotland shirt in his career. I, I think that would be a, a fair thing to say. But we were also being able to do it centrally. Uh, we were able to work the ball and McLean was able to get involved. McGinn was involved and we were able to create chances to the middle as well. So watching it, the chances that um, McBurney got, you don't sit there and think Griffiths wouldn't have been able to get those chances. You know, like it was to do with movement. Uh, he would have been sharper probably for the one where he was one-on-one and the defender got back. I think a big thing, the thing McBurney's got guaranteed in the squad is because he can play with back to goal and there's no other striker in the squad who can do that. And as Tom, as you said, that's an important facet of our style of play at the moment that we do have a, a focal point as a striker. But 
the more and more you look at is that Griffiths, while not being sold as that type of striker, he's not terrible with his back to goal. He's able to get turned and stuff. And I mean, Lennon's going to be under immense pressure <laughs> for the rest of this season that, that Griffiths keeps minutes. Otherwise, I think we all be on the on the bandwagon of get him out of Celtic for January, even if it's just on a loan deal. And if he wants, he can just come to Hibs. I was going to say, you just said that, because that's definitely, that's definitely the destination. might be welcome. Yeah, no. If he wants. If he goes on loan for Celtic in January, there's only one fucking place he's going. Yeah, where would you like well, to fine, see him, and he'll be loved there and he'll feel <laughs> great and he'll go into those Euros on top of the world uh, with no mental health problems because he's on bloody cloud nine playing for Hibernian. So Tony, that's, Tony, that's as long, an aside though. As, as long as part of the deal he's not allowed to play any cup games against Hearts, I'm fully behind this as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think that it's um, when you watched it, it was frustrating because you were thinking... Well, Griffiths is on the bench there and all of those chances we still would have created with Griffiths there and you'd be hard-pushed to tell me that Griffiths wouldn't have taken one of them. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, even from the, you know, the, the, we Griffiths could have won us, a, won us a point if it wasn't for a very, very good save. Um, technically, a very, very good finisher. I mean, even Shankland, uh, it, those, the, the kind of opportunities we created, I mean, there was one that, the one that um, was Armstrong got down, uh, got inside them and put the ball across the box and there was just nobody there. Those are the sort of ones that, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a Griffiths, whether it's a Shanklin, whether it's even like a, a Nesbitt or something like that, a, a, a more predatory number nine would have would have got us a goal somewhere in this game. Yeah, because even Griffiths, when he came off the, the bench, looked... I mean, to be fair, McBurney was dangerous in the first half, but then, even then, I mean, he's not even like he could have kept his, his performance up. I thought his link-up play wasn't bad in, in the first half, and I think he did do a, a job of kind of occupying defenders, but it was kind of similar to the, the Russia game, uh, the game at Hamden, where he started off very mm-hmm. well for like the first 20 minutes, and then he barely, like, he just barely involved the rest of the match. It was it's kind in of his head. These chances, are, these chances are in his head, because you see he starts well. He starts well in quite a lot of games, and then when an opportunity arises and he doesn't really take them then you can see his performance slowly slowly going down so maybe that would be Clark's argument against what we are saying is that he believes that once McBurney McBurney gets up and running he does have the talent to play up front for us and God God help I hope hope that McBurney is like Christian Doidge and one goes in and then it's just a flood of goals and he's scoring diving headers in Wembley in June but I don't know. I've got my doubts myself. I like that you called him McBurkey there. That's <laughs> yeah. just, just another kind of very expensive forward we have on the bench who's also pretty useless as well. Yeah, yeah just put them together. Just amalgamate them <laughs> one person. So uh, the, the At tricky... least that leaves some more room for another player be, in the squad. That would be him. actually quite good, though. He'd be like a, a guy that can play with his back to goal and is quite strong. Neither of them can score much, but is fast as fuck as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe with the McBurney effect, with Burke, you'll, be able to move, you'll be able to run at an angle rather than just directly <laughs> straight on. <laughs> there was other... To be, did you necessarily agree with going to the, the four at the back as well? I thought that kind of... It kind of to me it took away kind of Tierney's influence in the game a little bit by having him kind of stationed a wee bit further back and I, I don't know I, I, we still kind of did create a, a few chances at the end so I, maybe Steve Clark was kind of right in that decision there was a there was a whole lot about the second half that was quite frustrating as well the, the fact that we probably created our best chances of the game overall um, but at the same time maybe not as many as we should have done considering how much we were kind of ruling possession and 
with the exception of maybe the last few minutes, the second half overall was fairly pedestrian for both sides. Mm. I would mm. go back to your first point. I would say I think he assumed that Tierney, the, way the way the game was going and the fact that we were obviously going to be on the front foot naturally due to the result, that he probably thought Tierney would continue just playing that same role anyway. But I, I'd agree with you that maybe it didn't quite work out that way. He didn't have quite as obvious. It takes longer for two centre-halves to get the ball out wide than when you've got three, just simply due to length. So maybe we couldn't get him on the ball quite as quickly. So maybe there is something in that. But yeah, what did you think, Tom? Did you think it? So it did slow down a bit in the second half. I think so. I mean, I, I, I can see the logic that if you're chasing the game and you do have the likes of Griffiths and, and Shankland on, on the bench and we were creating the chances in the first half, certainly where those sort of players would have would have thrived on. You can see the, the logic to some extent in, in putting more bodies on there. But I think it, it almost showed how well the formation was working and the, the system was working that when we went to the four, it, it, we, we stopped creating anything like the chances. I mean, we, we, the, the second half was definitely an awful lot more pedestrian with the exception of, you know, Griffiths had a couple of chances at the end and Kenny McLean's header. Um, but I think sh- sort of shifting the system to, to, to accommodate the more attacking players meant that we were getting the, the players that were playing well at the time. Um, and like Christie in particular, I thought Armstrong had a very good game mm-hmm. and both McLean and McGinn from, from the centre and Tierney from the back. All of them kind of have to sit a little deeper. Um, Armstrong obviously goes off. So I think we, you're probably, we probably got less from the better performing players by changing the system. Um and it, it wasn't that the system wasn't working. It wasn't like they were running all over us or anything like that. So I could see the logic at the time. And if it works and Griffith scores that one at the end, then you say, you know, fair play. They, it was a gamble and it worked. But I don't think we created anything like the... We didn't look anything like as dominant and we didn't we didn't look as dangerous. We didn't have as much of the ball in dangerous areas either when we went to four. I'm really, to, to take a positive look at this, because I think there was a lot of positives to take for this. I'm so excited. Uh, I think I said this on the podcast, the sort of mishmash podcast you made yesterday, further about how pleasing it is to see so many guys get so many minutes over maybe the last six to eight games. And it's sort of the easiest way to foster that sort of club atmosphere that everyone's been banging on about. For a country like Scotland, it's possibly the only way that we can sort of go above and beyond what's expected of us is to foster that atmosphere. And it's been brilliant over these sort of last, definitely these two triple headers, and maybe even before that, so many players are getting so many minutes. Everyone feels like they're a part of the, the squad. And that's the easiest way to foster that. Um, and I, the only, and but to see how deep the squad actually is, I'm worried that maybe we were all going off our heads and us thinking these players were good was just uh, biased and we were all off our heads. But the more and more you look at it now, I'm not worried about any of those players playing in any game now after looking at these last six sort of games. And that's such a brilliant feeling. Except Um, for McBurney. Except for maybe McBurney, yeah. And and then the the only disappointments for today, I thought Palmer, I was expecting a big performance for him. The shirt was his until very recently. Uh, and O'Donnell's sort of, he's went above and beyond. He's probably been along with maybe Gallagher, like the biggest shock of like, he, this guy actually can make the step up. And I mean, he couldn't have been further back. We, um, loads of people thought he was with his depth. I was one of them. I criticised them on here. Uh, but yeah, his performances were superb over the last sort of two or three games. 
Uh, so I thought Palmer would be big into the game and wanting to play a big performance. It didn't work out. So that looks like more and more like that's O'Donnell's shirt, which is an incredible thing for him. But outside of that, I mean, our, our biggest sort of discussion points at the moment as a team is who's going to, if we're going to play this 3 4 3, I know that amalgamates into maybe 3 5 1 1 or whatever, but we'll call it a 3 4 3. And now we've got the options behind Dykes. You're looking at you've got Fraser, you've got Armstrong, you've got McGinn who's been playing there. You're going to have James Forrest when he comes back. Griffiths could possibly be used in that. And obviously that has a knock-on effect with the central midfield because obviously McGinn, if he gets moved into that, that leaves another sort of place in that central midfield. But it's good. That's looking at that, like, wow, that's so many options. And if we've got a squad, I imagine James Forrest will probably be able to make his way back into the squad just because, again, he brings pace and directness, which maybe we lack a bit outside the Fraser. But it's like, depending on the game, depending on what's going on in the game, I'm, I'm chuffed to see that we've got all those sort of real attacking options. And the squad now looks bloody deep. When we were talking about there's no centre-halves. Now there's a debate about which centre-halves are going to be playing. It's, it is good. It is a really good scenario to be in. Yeah, no, it's talking about positives as well. We did, we went to Slovakia and we should have we should have beaten them comfortably. And I mean, mm. if you think not that long ago, uh, we went to Slovakia under Gordon Strachan and we were kind of easily beaten three nothing. Uh, and you know, but I think we managed. We did manage to beat them at Hamden. It was a late goal uh, from memory serving me right. But it's not exactly the kind of it's it's the kind of place like Serbia uh, and now like Slovakia where we've just tended to struggle all the time for like even teams that were decent like have struggled away from home for Scotland with you know I think I looked prior to the Serbia game I looked at our results over like the past like since France since beating France in 2007 we've beaten the Czech Republic and we've beaten Croatia uh, in competitive games away from home like those were the only victories we had of like nations of similar standard to Serbia and even then Croatia had nothing to play for and the Czech Republic it's a dirty team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was like, and now for, for two games in a row, we've got away to a, a very good side and been the better team. I mean, the one caveat for this, I think, if you want to kind of pump the brakes slightly, is that this was a dead rubber for Slovakia and it, it maybe did show. They, they, they were pretty, they were surprisingly shit for a lot of yeah. this game. Mm. Like, even like Hamzik, Hamzik's like the talisman, always has been, like 125 caps, whatever he's got. He did nothing. He could be arsed. Yeah, I, think, I think yeah maybe that maybe that is a fair point because I went that was good maybe for you to temper my excitement because I'm going overboard now because we've qualified I'm looking at Airbnbs I've got Euros fever I've watched us go away to Slovakia and yes we got beat but I thought we were miles a better team so maybe we do need a bump down the earth that Slovakia possibly couldn't be arsed but now we've got that's a big game we've got against Israel uh, a team it would be lovely to see the difference between the nation that that penalty shootout win against Israel and bookmark this sort of period where we've um, sort of qualified for the Euros the performances have went up everyone's got belief in the shape everyone's got belief in the individuals within it it'd be nice to bookmark that because despite getting through in that everyone was criticising we were, there was not nobody that was certainly no one that was happy after that performance some people went further than others aka Duncan Mackay and I'll, uh, so, like, there, what's the point? Nice. Didn't even want to go to Euros. <laughs> and then, we, but now it'd be nice to bookmark that with a sort of really improved performance in Israel, going there, being as strong as we were in the last two games in terms of dominating, and maybe picking up a two-nil win. Because then, then we could get the fever going. Because Israel will be desperate to 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 do well in that match. 
Yeah, that's a, it's a huge game. I, I don't, I really, I've, I've not seen many people too far, but I've just kind of got a feeling there's a lot of people that are kind of like, ah, oh, well, you know, we qualify for the Euros. Oh, is there everything great kind of thing? If we don't win, if we, if we fail to, well, it, well, it's kind of, this is hard to say because the Czech Republic game's kicking off in 30 minutes. By the time that yeah. I get this podcast up, Czech Republic could have failed to beat Israel at home and we're already, we've already done it. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just, it, it would be such a fucking, it would be such a Scottish bloody thing of like such the high of the Euros. And yeah, that's not going to be taken away for us. We're going to the European Championships first tournament in 20 years. That's obviously a thing that it, it can't be taken away. It's brilliant. Well, it could be taken away by COVID. <laughs> maybe, maybe want to touch wood uh, before I go too far on that. But yeah, like it's 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 obviously something that we should still cherish. There's, but there's we've got, of- we have such a great chance to give ourselves the same route to the World Cup. And yeah, the Euros are good, but the Euros are not the World Cup. World Cup, no. And, and we're still got- we're still going into the we've we've helped ourselves now. We're now going to be a third seed at this moment in time uh, for the World Cup groups and that's better than being fourth but at the same yeah. time it still means we're up against it it still means we're going to be uh, playing against two teams who are ranked ahead of us and who are fancied to beat us and we could really do with this backdoor entry once again and it's going to be tough because on paper uh, looking at like where Israel are in the world and Israel's kind of typical results although they've done fairly well in this Nations League campaign they're typically a team we should be beating but We've struggled against them. We've played them we've four played times. Them often enough. <laughs> we've played them four times recently. We've won once in ninety minutes, and even then, it was a fucking toil. Who needed a James? We needed James Forrest's greatest game for Scotland to to win that one. So it's not going to be easy by any means. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking it would be. Sorry, I've just been totally thrown off because I looked down and apparently I know we we're going to do this in the Patreon, but Hibs are playing Dundee at Easter Road in the last sixteen of the of the Betfred Cup. So I've I've totally lost my train of thought there because I look I just <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, uh, but I will, I'll not talk about any others. I was just really shocked when I looked down and saw that. Uh, oh, good, that's Hibs in the quarters. Um, uh, sorry, I was I've totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, I, I mean, say, but so. I think that the. the so much of this, some so much of this Nations League campaign, for one reason or another, has fallen in our favour. Shall we say? Like mm. th- we've had to take the opportunities that have come, but we've had big slices of luck. Like you know, getting a weakened Czech Republic team, um, beating the Czech Republic when they had an awful lot of the ball, and, and you know, if we play that you play that exact same game over again, the amount of chances that they had and they missed, I don't think it's the same score. Um, and and to have a cushion over them going into the last two games where we whatever it is that we only need to do we only need to do it <laughs> so to finish on a high with you know to to take some of the momentum that we've got and and kind of draw a line under this this section and say you know job well done mission accomplished for that it, it wouldn't it's not going to take the gloss off qualifying for the Euros if we don't but it would be quite frustrating given that we've had the rub of the green a bit. That, that, that's, that's actually a good point because that was something I could have thought going in, uh, thought at the end of this game. or I was actually kind of thinking it while the game was still going on. We have had a bit of luck, like even like in some of the other, like the, there's the Czech Republic game, but there's also, you know, the two games at home against Czech Republic and Slovakia. Slovakia made wholesale changes for one of them and the Czech Republic should have at least got a draw at Hamden. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. This kind of felt like, and also even the Serbia game, 
like, yeah, we were unlucky to lose a late goal, but we also kind of hung on in extra time and we won both, ultimately we won both games from penalties. Now our penalties were tremendous. We were the best penalty takers in the entire world. So there is that, there's that skill element, but penalty shoots, you're always going to need a little bit of luck. If the goalie goes, you know, the, the right way on, on, on certain penalties, they're probably saved rather than just looking like very good penalties because the goalie's got nowhere near them. So there is always an element of luck with penalty shootouts. So it just it did feel like today finally we we just ran out of luck. If that could just be condensed to this ninety minutes and we can get some luck back again on Wednesday, that would be tremendous. Part of me wants us to maybe have to do it. I know this sounds ridiculous, and we obviously want the positives, but just to see this team again having to go again in terms of like an experiment, if you like. And I know this sounds really daft because we obviously just want to get as good as possible and get the easiest routes to tournaments. But part of me would like to see this team be forced to go again and then get another result because how great would that be over these three games that in two pressure cooker moments, the team comes out on top and moves forward. I think there's something in that because apart from this game, there's no more pressure after this until the Euros. It's going to be... And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's qualifiers and stuff coming up. I've, I've not looked. Uh, but I imagine there's not going to be anywhere near the amount of pressure in matches till these Euros turn up in the, in the summer. And this might be the last time we really get that test. There, there is a question, actually. What, what would be your team for, for Wednesday? I was kind of just thinking it now. I, I didn't, wouldn't mind. There's, there's a few aspects of today's team I, I wouldn't mind keeping. Armstrong uh, starting. Uh, being the main one mm-hmm. I always like Armstrong to start I always think he plays well for Scotland Clark doesn't seem to rate him as high as he does other players in the team I, I quite like McGregor in the deeper role uh, sorry not McGregor um, Jack. again in, in, the, in the deeper role because I thought he he was very good ways pressing if McGregor can put in a but then that makes it difficult who do you drop do you drop McGregor or, or Jack I know that both of them were dropped but in, in terms of like our kind of first choice 11 I don't know uh, back three I'd like to see I think I I'd, like to, Gall- I'd like to see Gallagher return to the back three and uh, McTominay as well. But then that kind of leaves the question of who do you play at left-sided centre-back? Is Scott, is Scott McKenna, McKenna good enough on the football to play on the left side of a back three? I've got my doubts. Uh, I mean, if he does what he did in like the 80th minute and runs the length of the pitch and tries to slip the through ball through with a back heel, then <laughs> no problem whatsoever. Yeah, yeah that was well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think... Um, See, I've got my guesses that McGinn might not play again because he's played two pretty much full 90 minutes uh, pretty early. And again, ah, he runs loads. Even though, yeah, I think the last time uh, the triple header, McGinn was one of the very few players who played um, the started every single match. So I mean, if you're doing that, does that mean you drop Christie? Because I really wouldn't like us to drop Christie. I'd like to keep seeing. I said, this is a great problem we're having, Fowler. Uh, there, there's there's so many options, and I have belief in everyone. And we're just we're going to win the game on Tuesday, on Wednesday. <laughs> we're going to win at Wembley. Obviously, we're going to beat the Czechs in Croatia because that's at home. We win our home games. It's just bloody great. And it's good that we lost this game because do you believe that Scotland are going to end up going what 15, 16 games undefeated? So we're going to get put through, and, and we had we had to we had to have some sort of bump on the road. Might as well be today. We could. The the only thing that would be better than going and winning on Wednesday would be if there is a very dull draw, nil nil draw between Israel and the Czech Republic. I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go to Wednesday's I, I, game I, I would not getting like a fuck with no that. pressure whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm a big, I'm a big coward, but 
I am fully rooting for an Israel draw win, whatever tonight. Whatever it is that's needed, yeah. Uh, as long as the Czechs don't win. Right, I think that's uh, enough on that game. Let's uh, let's go to another Scotland game, but this one occurred in the 1990s, uh, 1999 to be exact. November, sorry, November. April 28th April. to be even more exact. And that was Germany what Germany nil. I'm having a fucking nightmare here. Germany nil, Scotland won. The only goal of the game scored after was it 66 minutes by Don mm-hmm. Hutchison. And Don. Craig, Craig, it was a friendly match. We should probably say, uh, in case everybody's wondering, I've never heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even make Euro 2000. How's this happened? It was um, a friendly match. Uh, somehow is um, the 27th. Uh, 28th actually 28th most memorable Scotland match of all time <laughs> Classic <laughs> Fowler did you have a look at who was number one at this period I did I've got it here uh, I've got It's a belter It's an absolute belter Oh really It's the same one I've got I've got I've got TLC no scrubs I've got electricity by Swede <laughs> oh right give me two seconds like, that's just, uh, I've got birthday jams I don't think, think Swede have had a number one so I'm I know, I'm a big fan here but <laughs> I, was bit, I was a bit confused by that as well because I was like well 1999 seems a bit late for Swede the to have a number one have, the album might have been number one ah right that is that what I've did I look up the wrong thing uh, that 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 might be right but I don't know. It was either TLC's No Scrubs or Electricity by Spade. Both songs that I like quite a lot. <laughs> Both great songs. Great songs. Electricity, song, say, whatever. The Electricity Electricity's of... not an album, though. So that, that still wouldn't make any sense. I think oh. bought the wrong oh, it like, Electricity was on the album Head Music. Yeah, so it can't be that. I don't know where we've got this from. But uh, Head Music was song. number one, to be fair. Uh, so that might be it. Right, let's have a I look. want to try and make the Scotland. I want to change the Scotland anthem from We Can Boogie to TLC No Scrubs. So that's going to be my Aye. main focus, <laughs> building up to the to the Euros. It's obviously, yep. it's a, sorry, a I'm going to say time. that you're right. I'm, I'm going to say you're right because electricity, according to Swade's own Wikipedia page, only got as far as five in the charts. Um, what the fuck was? What was I looking at then? Sure <laughs> the, the internet isn't always the most uh, definitive place, <laughs> strange enough. Uh, but yeah, TLC, no scrubs. Uh, rest in peace, Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else to add to that, really. What was the number one movie? Uh, I, 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 the, the couple of, uh, well, one very good film. Uh, the, the US box office was The Matrix, was number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UK box office was 8mm, starring Nicolas Cage. That sounds shit. It's the it's the it's film where everything he, you think it is. It's the <laughs> film where he finds a snuff film. Is he not? Is he not as a journalist yeah. or something? <laughs> finds a snuff film and he's trying to get people to believe. What it's the real. penis is eight millimeters long in the snuff film? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting confused. <laughs> <laughs> eight millimeter is the film. <laughs> <laughs> we tiny we've chopped got, off eight millimeter penis in a snuff film. Yeah, okay, <laughs> Nicholas Cage picks it up. <laughs> The end. We have, dig- <laughs> we have digressed somewhat from yeah. Scotland one, Germany nil. Well, it's a point. Um, you barely even get so, highlights to the game, so which, we need to uh, make, make flesh it. That's very much true. Yeah, which uh, we were we're not entirely sure what was the number one film or album, but here's some films and albums from uh, music from '99 <laughs> that were that were quite good. Instead, um, yeah, it's a this is a weird one because it was quite big. It was a fairly big deal at the time, but there seems to be almost no record of it on the internet in any kind of video form other than Don Hutchinson's goal. Nice uh, goal. A really nice goal. Um, 
lovely play from Paul Lambert, who puts in you know, it's Callum, Callum Davidson. Callum, Callum Davidson, yeah, who cuts it back to the edge of the box. And Don Hutchison, who I think was on his second appearance, uh, absolutely leathers it past uh, Jens Lehmann. And um, it, it was weird. You could almost see this game as like a point, quite a pivotal moment for both teams because it, it was a, definitely a Scotland team that had momentum and didn't necessarily like the, 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 the qualifiers for the, for Euro 2000 Scotland were actually fairly decent. There was dropped points, but you know, we were in a group with uh, a very, very good Czech Republic side at the time. Um, and the Scotland team had a bit of momentum. Um, and actually, although we got knocked out by England in the playoffs, we were seeded higher than they were uh, going into it. And a German team, that were kind of uh, had a bit of an identity crisis and still had uh, Lothar Matthias, despite him, like Lothar Matthias was, was was amazing in his day, but his day probably finished in about 1993 and he was still playing and for Germany was, as a sweeper in 99. And he was dropped for the tournament beforehand. He didn't, he didn't, and then he was, he was, like he was dropped for Euro 96, which they won. And then he was brought back in 98 when they they sort of done really poorly and then he was content because that's when he went on to sort of pick up I think he's got the most appearances in a finals like most appearances in any sort of World Cup finals and then he was sort of randomly brought Brock in going back to your um, your qualifying round I was looking over the results it's really because it's like Czech Republic win, play 10 win 10 30 points uh, straight through and then we sail through as well with 18 points but we have some wild results like we drew with Estonia we drew with Faroe Islands with a H Hansen and a double take there. I was like, Haley Hansen played that. The jackets were made by a guy for Faroe Islands, but that wasn't correct. <laughs> and then... Uh, you sure we drew with Faroe Islands, did we? Yeah, 1-1. One, one. We, we drew with... Uh, yeah, we drew with uh, Lithuania as well. Drew 0-0 Lithuania. Drew 0-0 with Estonia. So we had some poor results, in the, in the, but we also beat Bosnia. Uh, obviously a decent side. But it was like quite a, like the three of the other teams below us all finished on 11 points. So it was, so we just steamed ahead and then everyone else, but Faroe Islands managed to pick up three draws. So you could argue that that might be one of Faroe Islands best of our qualifying campaigns. We're picking up three draws out, out of 10. So uh, quite an interesting group that I don't really recall uh, much, much from it. But sorry, Tom, interject to sort of go no, through. No, no, not at all. Um, but it, it was—it's was actually like a pretty good Scotland team that was just kind of that had kind of reached the end of the sort of reached an end of an era uh, uh, after '98, and there were a few players that had, had dropped out and, and retired or weren't really being considered again. So the, the Scotland team from the, this day: Neil Sullivan, uh, Tom Boyd, David Weir, Colin Hendry, Callum Davidson, Ian Durant, Scott Gemmell. Don Hutchinson making only a second appearance, Alan Johnson, Paul Lambert, and Billy Dodds. Um, there were a bunch of injuries. Uh, it was kind of a, a shadow Scotland t- uh, squad at the time, and they had had a bit of a kicking because I think the uh, Tony Banks, the, the UK sport minister, in the run-up to the game the day before had, maybe, had said um, that the Scottish, Scottish international team were like the West Ham of international football, which is... It's damning no matter what era in the last 40 years. <laughs> Probably fair. <laughs> <laughs> Subsequently, it has been fair. At the time, it seemed a bit harsh. Um, but we'd qualified for pretty much everything that England had qualified for for 30-odd years. Yes. Um, but yeah, a, a, a very, very good Scotland performance in this game. Like 
not just a, a smash and grab. Uh, Germany did have a couple of chances, um, but a very like Germany sort of kind of ch- changed everything about about their their philosophy and their setup a couple of years after this. And you can kind of tell because their lineup, like we're all big, strong, um, physical players. It was a very like physically intimidating team. Absolutely, they, they weren't. There, there wasn't a huge amount of technical ability um, in comparison to later years. And they, they, Germany maybe had like one or two opportunities in this game, but Scotland kind of ran all over them. Are you saying, the Tom, that, are you saying Tom, that maybe this Scotland are the reason that Germany sort of rethunk everything and then went on to win the World Cup and sort of hump England in a sort of tournament finals with that juicy Lampard one that crossed the line by about 42 yards, but never got given. What a wonderful uh, day that was. I think uh, you can you can draw a straight line exactly yeah. between those two things. If it wasn't for this sliding doors moment when they're like, "What we've been beaten one 0 by the West Ham of, of international by the West Ham of international football, who were, you know brought on Brian O'Neill and Paul Ritchie, then to shore things up, then uh, we're going to well, have to we're going to have to get they'll they'll go they'll know Brian O'Neill as well because he was at Wolfsburg he at was. that period, won't they? So they'll they'll be a bit ashamed for that. But yeah, that that Germany team it just it's it's very functional where you look at it, like. Uh, Balak was in the squad and he sort of like the, he went on and sort of like he was sort of like the one shining light for Germany for years after this until sort of Ozil Tam Muller did you just say shining in a German accent there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after the Steve McLaren <laughs> one shining light that's all one word that's all one word shining light <laughs> uh, but then because Balak obviously they had poor tournaments but then Balak sort of him and Oliver Kahn sort of single-handedly took them to the Euro 2004 final, even though they were really quite poor. But then it was after that when we hit to around 2006 when they hosted the World Cup. And then after that, everything started to sort of come up Millhouse for Germany and they had loads of good players. And so everyone was sort of copying them. We had the, because this is a period we're about to go into when Spain start sort of taking over everything and then sort of Germany followed then. But, I mean, we have to go back to talk about... Um, What's his name? I've just forgotten his name, even though he's one of the most famous players. And we literally just spoke about him about two minutes ago. Lothar Matthias. Um, his lifestyle sounded incredible. Really, I just it's like he was as much on the back pages as the front. He had four children, married five times, married Ukrainian models. His last he was married to a twenty-one-year-old when he was in his mid-forties. He's obviously separated from I think every single one of them now. Uh, but he got married in Vegas to a Ukrainian model <laughs> like, uh, who he met at Oktoberfest in, in his 40s. I was like, what a setup this, this sounds. But there's, there's quite a few characters in that Germany team. I was sort of looking over uh, Jens, Jens Lehmann because obviously he was sort of mad as a box of frogs. He got, just last year, apparently, he got kicked out of Oktoberfest himself out this, for, for his behaviour. It didn't really go into too much detail. But there was just this I was, there's an article that's about him that's just all these things that he, so all the fallen outs he had with, with different players, like Almunia from Arsenal just said that, I knew, I knew Jens Lehmann. Jens Lehmann hated me. I waited up. I woke up every single day at Arsenal, knowing I was going to go in and I was going to be treated badly by Jens Lehmann every single day. That was his, that, it's like no matter what, I was going to be treated like shit by Jens Lehmann. He obviously had a really bad relationship with Oli Kahn, where he would sort of slag him off. For he sort of slagged them off when they were going for, like they were both trying to get number ones. And he was saying, "We don't need to talk." 
I would have nothing to say to him. He's the kind of guy that talks to 24-year-old girls. Uh, and Oliver Kahn had a 24-year-old girlfriend at the time. Uh, so it's... We can only be like 32. So <laughs> <laughs> he also ran on the pitch and Balovin, I forget his name. He played for Chelsea. I think he was thought of as quite a, a wild guy. He, he was he sort of ripped his hairband off him during the game when he mucked. He, he, he headed a clearance behind for a corner, but he wasn't happy with that. So he ran at the goal, grabbed him by his shirt, ripped his hairband off and threw it into the stand. Um, so I'm just he, an absolute madman, Jens there, Lehmann. There, there, there's a very small group of goalkeepers who are those sort of players. You know, he's not that sort of player. Goalkeepers, there's very, very few. There's a very small group that are like, yeah, he did do that intentionally. He did stand on that guy's ankle intentionally. He did leave a knee in. And Jens Lehmann seems exactly that sort of guy. Um, but yeah, like... a. a, a he lets his, sorry, before we go, he lets his two-year-old girl, he admitted on a TV show, drink lager, swig lager. <laughs> My two, uh, but I think it turned out and it was alcohol. they say the Germans don't have a sense of humour. It, 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 it was alcohol-free beer, but he said, My two-year-old daughter loves to drink alcohol-free beer. What consequences can that have? Maybe she just gets really wet into the taste of beer at a very, very young age. Yeah, it would, would be my would be my guess of the consequences. She has a couple too many and marries Luther Matthias. <laughs> Yeah, um, he also fell out. Mateus also had like a really public falling out with Podolski, um, for, for what I was looking at, and it was like really like sort of tabloidy slinging mud at each other after, and so sort of, he would do it all through Twitter, uh, because that's where he slagged them off. So it wasn't, it wasn't too many moons ago, and he would sort of like was doing like sort of, um, sorry, I've totally lost my train of thought again there. I'm not having a good day, um. He, he, um, just to save you, Tony, he also uh, slagged off Shavalaz, though, when he got the Hearts job because Lothar Mateus was unhappy because he wanted the job instead. He's <laughs> like, fire Shavalaz, he's rubbish. <laughs> You're so, rubbish, though. You're definitely so, rubbish. I find it very, here we go, Podolsky saying, I find it very amusing that Mateus should give me precise tips on how to behave. He then added emoticons of a bride and love heart plus a hashtag. Erfolga coach, translated as success coach. It was an extremely thinly veiled reference to the fact that Matthias has had four failed marriages and a less than a spacious managerial career. That's Just a like, very thinly veiled. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really that veiled at all. <laughs> but but like, Matthias kind of held this, this almost like 20 year hold over German football with the exception of like a couple of years when he dropped out when if he was fit and fancied it he played and any attempt at modernizing any attempt at playing a different way any attempt at it he seemed to be the one that was wired into like the big wigs and the the, the power brokers and the people that didn't want and there, there's a there's definitely a school of thought that there was Matthias's way of doing things and Klinsman's way of doing things and ultimately Klinsman's way of doing things was was looked at when Matthias was uh, was pushed to one side and went on to have his less than auspicious managerial career that I'm not so thinly hiding a dig at. Um, and yeah, so and I mean, that was properly winding down. I think he must have been, what, 37, 38 at this 37 point. 37 in this game, apparently, yeah. And um, was totally overrun by Scott Gemmell, Ian Durant, and uh, uh, and Paul Lambert. Ian Durant, <laughs> Ian Durant, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, he was playing. Yeah, he's one leg. Uh, he was at Kilmarnock at this time. He nearly he was very much winding down. 
He nearly scored as well. <laughs> I had no a... recollection of that Faroe Islands game you talked about at all. I actually looked it up. Uh, one all draw. Alan Johnson scored. Matt yeah. Elliott was sent off before half time, and they could see the equaliser at injury time. He says yeah, that. Right. Was that when and, Matt Elliott played up front? Was that not during that that sort of experiment that we had for three or four games? Uh, he was head. He was sent off for head, but elbowing a fisherman or headbutting a fisherman, like for like just no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and that, that wasn't even on the pitch. That was violence. The game. Violence <laughs> against fishermen. Oh, well, we've got similar. Colin was Colin Hendry playing this game. He's got previous <laughs> for elbowing people in throats in, in horrible ways in, in in Scotland games. I was excited to see Robbie Winter's name there. A, a player I forgot. A player I always really like. He loved a good celebration. Robbie Winter's eh? I remember he scored. He would go behind the goal and pick up the sort of goal mics, the big, and then he'd pick them up and pretend to sing it to them. And he always liked a little boogie. Robbie Winters was a fun guy, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, it, it took a while for me to get over the fact that uh, Aberdeen paid money and gave them Dundee United Billy Dodds for him. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was ultimately quite good fun, and he um, yeah, he, the one of the last I think the last Scotland international goalkeeper to play in goals at Hampden for Aberdeen. There we go. That is great stuff. Paul Ritchie was playing as well. He was involved further. And this was when he was still at Hearts. So this must be very close to his acrimonious departure from, from Hearts, would it not? 1999? It will be. I think he left in 2000. So yeah. Uh, so this is April. So this is I. This is it's lucky again, this team, to be honest, considering that this was the season Hearts and they got relegated. Um, but clearly Craig Brown saw through their terrible form. David Weir, um, was kind of around about the squad this time as well because he was playing in the Pharaohs. I've got the, just the t- I've got a team up for a different game. Just looking yeah, at it. David Weir started in this. This is when he was at Everton and Tom Boyd was there, obviously still licking his we're wings. Weir had just left for Everton, I think. I think he had left Hearts in like something like March that season when you were still allowed to move uh, outside of two, two months, basically. These short periods. Uh, the, tra- the transfer deadline used to be something like early April. I think that was... Perfectly fine to sign people up and told them. Um, but that was a change. Anything else on this game before we finish? No, good, just good fun. Good, uh, just good fun talking about that wild Germany team. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so we started with Scotland losing to Slovakia and ended up with talking about Luther Mateus. <laughs> you never know. You never know where you're going to get in the tennis. Uh, he says we're not eclectic. Right, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to send us a message, the easiest way to do so is probably just through Twitter or at Terrace Podcast. We're also on Instagram, the same handle as well. And I think that's pretty much it. Tony, say goodbye. Goodbye. Tom. Cheers. I'm Craig Feller saying goodbye. And we'll speak to you again after Wednesday night. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.